0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today we finish the book of Zechariah with a vision, well, a prophecy about the last day, the coming of Christ, paradise. Behold, a day is coming for Yahweh, when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken from and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile with the rest of the people and shall not be cut off from the city. Then Yahweh will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to us all. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then Yahweh my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to Yahweh, Neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer, as in winter. And Yahweh will be king over all the earth. On that day Yahweh will be one, and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Raman south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Henanel to the king's wine presses. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And this shall be the plague with which Yahweh will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day a great panic from Yahweh shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance, And a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. But then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, Yahweh of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, Yahweh of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which Yahweh afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt, and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to Yahweh, And the pots in the house of Yahweh shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to Yahweh of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of Yahweh of hosts on that day. This is the word of the Lord. It starts out grim. Uh, Well, I guess it doesn't. It starts out really nice. The the spoil that has been taken from you will be divided among you. So the idea that we will be victorious in Christ. Romans 8 picks up on that theme that we have overcome. uh, Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. Now, verse 2, though, turns it. All the nations will come against Jerusalem. So in this end times picture, Jerusalem is the church. It's you, it's me, it's all of us gathered together. The world will fight against us this is very much like revelation does it where in the book of revelation your timeline is not as difficult as most christians these days like to make it out to be the the timeline of revelation is from the ascension of jesus christ until his second coming that's when those bowls and trumpets and things are playing out is the time between while we wait for his return and so it is here Verse 2 is a reference to the suffering of the Christian in this world here and now. We are being fought against, we're being plundered, and yes, Christian women are even raped. I mean, if you want to go literal on that, it's happened, and it still happens in this world. As the, the name of Christ is spat upon, by those who side with Satan. But, while some of the church is scattered, that's Acts chapter 8, they take the gospel with them. Now you can try to snuff out the church if you want to, but Christ himself has said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He told that to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, and he's God. He only speaks truth. So, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Satan and his demons, as they plot and plan, that's the gates of hell, right? They sit in the city gate planning it, planning how to take care of their, their business, including war. They can't overcome. They can't defeat the church. Try as they might. And so, yeah, there are moments where the church seems broken. There are moments where the church gets scattered. Uh, Acts 8, again, the Christians... Living in Jerusalem, seeing Stephen stoned to death in the middle of the street, they were afraid. They panicked, they left. But when they left, they took Christ with them. They took the gospel with them into all the surrounding communities. They preached Christ and the church grew. Some remain in Jerusalem, is the other part of this verse. There is indeed a church that grows in Jerusalem. And James, the brother of Jesus, oversees that church until he's martyred in 62 AD. Yahweh, verse 3, will go out and fight. So God is going to restore, he's going to redeem us from the world's attack, from the persecution that we endure. Verse 4, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. This is a twofold again. I've been pointing you the last couple of chapters to both the cross and the last day, second coming of Christ. He will stand on the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, did this. Mount of Olives, right there by Jerusalem, not far at all. Jesus putting his own two feet on the ground there. And here we would take this as a reference to the crucifixion then, that he is crucified on the Mount outside of Jerusalem, right outside the city gate. So not quite necessarily the Mount of Olives, but... The idea of it being torn in two then would be reminiscent of as we talk about the temple curtain being torn into uh, that god's perfection which would have caused us to die because of our sin now all of our sin is forgiven we can come into the presence of god and live there's a bit of a fit for that however again taking this as the second part the second coming of jesus christ God coming back into this world to defeat the devil, and as he seeks to rescue his people, Exodus 14. Pharaoh has pinned them against the Red Sea. The Israelites think that they're done, they're about to be killed, slaughtered. God parts the Red Sea. They can cross on dry ground with a mountain of water on both sides, a wall of water beside them. Such is the picture here with the Mount of Olives being split, right, into two sections with a valley in between that the people of God can cross. That we can flee from our attackers. We can flee into the arms of Christ. Neat connection there. Um, We escape the death that the world seeks to give us. We are rescued. We are redeemed. So I think it's a both and. You can get a little bit of something from both of those pictures. It's interesting for the Mount of Olives to show up here. And it shows up here twice. Um, It only gets used one other spot in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30. Why olives? You might connect this to Genesis 8, verse 11. When Noah and his family are on the ark, God has flooded the earth and destroyed all those sinners, uh, save eight, aboard the ark, spared by water, which corresponds to baptism, 1 Peter 3.21. Anyway, what does the dove bring back? part of an olive branch, which is why the olive branch likely becomes a symbol of peace historically speaking, and that's the picture we get here as well, uh, that God is going to bring about peace for his people. Azel, not a commonly used word in the Old Testament or a place name, uh, seems to be part of the land of Benjamin as far as I can tell, so it's close to the city of Jerusalem itself. There's a reference to the earthquake in Uzziah's day, and that would be around 760 BC. Uh, they fled from that, so they will flee from this destruction as well. But Yahweh will come and bring his holy ones with him, uh, probably a reference to his angels, mighty warriors, who will fight against Satan and his demons on our behalf. Might talk about, as a family, uh, can you think of any other earthquakes that happen, especially in the New Testament? the New Testament you're gonna have Matthew 27 verse 54 an earthquake at the cross when Jesus dies you're gonna have another one at his resurrection in Matthew chapter 28 verse 2 Acts chapter 16 God uses a earthquake to break open the prisons and free his apostles and then you get five earthquakes in the book of Revelation Uh, judgment God's judgment kind of connected in, in reference to those things so fleeing the earthquake, fleeing the enemy, and the Lord delivers, the Lord rescues. This is the picture of Revelation 16, 19, and 20. Satan musters his forces for a battle against God, and the people, well, where are the people? The people of God are hardly even mentioned. I mean, there is no great battle on the last day. It's just done. Christ simply wins. It's over. It's defeated and God declares it's done. Revelation 16 even says that. God said it is done. Very similar to Christ on the cross, it is finished. Verse 6, On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. A unique day, not day or night. Evening will bear light. The earth has changed. New heaven, new earth, whether that's a brand new one or God reforming this one, we don't know. The scriptures There are enough passages that sound both directions. It's hard to be certain. But this is a picture of paradise. Paradise will have no need to reckon time. There will not be day and night. There will simply be light. And we're even told because God himself and Jesus himself as God is the light. We don't even need a sun in paradise according to Revelation twice. That's our picture here. Now, we're going to have glimpses of paradise in this chapter. They're very much so prophetic, so a little harder to, to see. But maybe a family conversation point here, too. If you wanted to know more about paradise, where would you go? And see see what your kids think of in terms of what they would do. Would they look in Scripture? And if so, where? Would they speak to you? Would they go to a pastor? Would they have a different resource maybe they're using a search engine on the internet maybe they're maybe they have a friend who they trust knows the bible pretty well a mentor a grandparent might be an interesting eye-opening possibility to see where your kids are learning about their faith from on that day living waters will flow from jerusalem we talked about that one yesterday revelation 22's river of life that flows from the throne of God and gives life to his people in paradise forever. Uh, very good. Uh, it will continue in summer and winter and no seasons in paradise. There's no need for it. Yahweh will be king over all the earth. Thanks be to God, a good king. Finally, a reversal of First Samuel chapter eight when we demanded a king for ourselves to be just like all the other nations. On that day, Yahweh will be one. This is the great Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, mandatory memory work for every little Jewish child uh, to know by the time they're like four or five years old. The whole land will be made into a plain. This is like John the Baptist task that was announced in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, where you get the idea that... A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of Yahweh, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. So, John the Baptist roll, make it so people can see their Savior call them to repent remove the mountain of sin that's in their life through repentance all people will see god that's the kind of picture here there will never again be utter destruction no more death in paradise instead jerusalem will be inhabited that's the church again the new city is the the holy bride of christ we will be there forever and we will dwell securely in Christ our groom will take care of us as a a husband cares for his wife verse 12 then a plague will come upon the peoples who fought against Jerusalem so those who oppose the church those who fight against God will face God's judgment they will rot while they still stand that might be a picture of ongoing everlasting destruction that we talk about with hell, great panic will on them. They'll fight against each other. Verse thirteen and onward. There, this is what Yahweh did to the Midianites in Judges chapter seven. Only three hundred of God's people went to battle that day. They fought against one hundred thirty-five thousand Midianites and they won without casualty, because God fought for them. God caused the Midianites to fight each other instead of His own people, and God is saying that He will do that again. Even the Jews will fight at Jerusalem, verse 14, uh, Judah. So Judah fight Jerusalem, the Jews will fight against the church. Even the people who were God's own people at one point, but have rejected him, they will be part of this as well. The wealth of the surrounding nations will be collected in great abundance, perishing of, of worldly wealth. A plague will fall on all of the things that they own, all their livestock destroyed. None of it goes with but there will be a remnant in the nations that survives. Verse 16, this is that Christ has been preached to the Gentiles and that there are people of other faiths who are converted, who trust in Christ. And this is something we've seen back in Zechariah chapter 8 already, and here it is again. They will worship the king, they will worship Yahweh, they will keep the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is a reference to the 40-year wilderness wandering of the Israelites where they lived in booths or tents, as we would say, um, and so they were to celebrate this feast every year as a remembrance that the Lord provided for them. That he guarded them, protected them, led them to safety, led them to the promised land, and in a way our life now here is being likened to the 40 years of wilderness wandering that Israel had, They wandered for a while, and God safeguarded them through it all, brought them to the promised land. You and I, we are wandering here in this place of exile, this sojourn in this world. This is not our home. We're wandering, but the Lord is caring for us, providing for us, and he is safely bringing us to the promised land of paradise. Hope you can see that connection. It's a really neat one. The rest of that paragraph ends up being about judgment. Uh, that those who do not celebrate the feast of booths those who do not celebrate that the lord has saved them well they're not saved and they're outside they will not receive god's provision they will not receive rain instead they will receive punishment on that day inscribed on the bells of horses holy to yahweh horses were a symbol of war and now they will be made holy it means no more war for them but also Holy to the Lord was written on the, a metal plate put on the head of the high priest on his turban, not directly on his head. He would wear a turban. It was affixed to his turban over his forehead. Now the horses are having that. So, so open is the presence of God that not only can just the high priest come before him, but even, even the rest of creation can come before him the rest of this the the pots will be as the bowls so you had specific bowls that were holy to the Lord used in worship in the temple now even the pots clay pot that you might have used instead of a gold bowl clay pots brought in it can be used too. I think this is a picture of us that we are now holy to the Lord we have been brought into his temple in Christ and we get to be in his presence forevermore in paradise we are holy to Yahweh that's the idea that all who sacrifice can come, boil the meat sacrifice in them. It was only the priests who could do that before. but now, this is first Peter 2, now we are all priests. So let me read that first Peter 2 passage, verses eight and nine are pretty familiar to many Christians. You are a royal a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is us. This is our home. We are Christ. We are his holy people. We are his priests to share the good news and to serve before him day and night in his temple forevermore. The last sentence here at the book, no longer will there be a traitor in the temple on that day. A traitor D, not like a betrayer. This is what Jesus saw in the temple in his day, and he flipped their tables over. There will be no exchange. There will be no market. And we will simply be in the presence of Christ and he will care for us. He will care for all our needs forevermore. Amen.